Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and this week I'm joined by Kelly Ford. She is a radio presenter, producer, blogger, writer and also a stand-up comedian. We recorded this episode just before the Bridge Comedy Club, which is the night I run in a small function room at the Boathouse Pub in Cambridge. There is a bit of reverb and we did record it around one microphone because during the sound check, one of my leads decided to stop working, which did mean that it didn't record my reaction to that, which sounded something like, for fuck's sake, why do these things always seem to happen to me? To which Kelly said, it's fine, it's fine, that's at least 10 minutes material. You know, and in in retrospect, yes, it is. And every time something like that happens to a comedian, initially we're like, oh, this is so annoying. Why does stuff happen to me? And then we write great 10 minutes on it and make a room full of people laugh. So every cloud. Anyway, we didn't have much time to record this because towards the end, comedians started rocking up, open to perform. I really do urge you to check out Kelly Ford and all the social medias and her website and everything else, all of that sort of stuff. I'll give you the information at the end of the show and it'll all be in the episode notes. But until then, please welcome to the show, Kelly Ford. Firstly, Kelly, how did you get into comedy? Well, I did the tried and tested route of doing a comedy course and getting far too confident and then following a path of getting out there and getting on with it and starting to gig. And then it's kind of becomes a bit of an addictive thing, right? And then you're gigging three times a week and bombing twice a week and learning all the feels and, <laughs> and it's under your skin. So that was the beginning for me. A big shout out to Logan Murray, by the way. What a guy. Logan Murray, is, I, I, I actually should count how many comedians I've had on the podcast who have done the course of Logan Murray. So I should do one with him, to be honest. Everyone says I should. He's an um, amazing man. Yeah, amazing man. I'd actually, I should, actually, I should try and do a little exchange with him and see if he'll come onto the podcast and I'll get a discount to do the, do the course. Do it. Yeah. He, he'll love that. <laughs> Would he? He could talk about the comedy course. Because and I did speak to a couple of comedians before who um, disagreed with comedy courses. Right. But I've always said I don't know. I don't think it could hurt. It can't hurt. It can't. I think. I think it. You know, for for those who maybe have never done stand up before or never written comedy, to actually be in a room with twelve strangers and learn about putting a five minute set together or yeah. doing improv routines together. These are really empowering techniques and skills to have when you actually go out there and you're playing to two people in a Dalston toilet you know yeah exactly yeah I mean did you did you start gigging again before the like the the showcase did you did you try and run up to like the showcase with with could you do a showcase didn't you? yeah that's right did yeah. a showcase I um no I didn't do that but I was feeling so sort of confident and excited that um, my course was in the January and halfway through the course I booked myself to do 20 minutes that August in Edinburgh. Oh wow. (laughs) Which I mean was completely outlandish but at the time it felt like a really good idea to set a goal Um, and I was advised by the brilliant comedian Katie. She said to me go for it deadlines are really important and Katie Brand, Katie Brand, and she said to me, go for it. And actually, that word, those those words and comedy are really important. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much the first lesson that um, Logan Murray teaches, isn't it? Is do everything. As in, say, no, say yes to everything. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful lesson. I think it's pretty much his first, first bit. So if you did radio predominantly for many, many years, um, why, why, why comedy? Why, what gave you the compellent to, to do comedy? I have always had great pleasure in making people laugh. And this was something from early school days. I think being bullied, I found a way of kind of getting friends or a sense of approval um, from making people laugh. Yeah. And um, it's kind of a bit of a, uh, an addiction in a way. And I think for years I've always kind of enjoyed that feeling of making people happy and... And then I, I remember just this one day being in an office, a really quiet office, and it was a time where there were mouse mats and mouses, and you could hear the double click kind of ricochet across the room, but no one talking to each other. And I, I'd been doing quite a lot of kind of performance on the side through ugly models, so lots of character kind of mm. 
performance in music videos or plus size modeling and there was kind of this itch of like actually your calling has always been to make people laugh why don't you actually start taking it a bit seriously yeah and um i think i was 34 and i just was like this is it i'm gonna go for it because actually to do that kind of risky thing at 34 is a bit different than being 44 that's so true. yeah, it felt right, right time. Yeah, I mean, so you obviously build up a bit of a persona and, and kind of, um, I don't know, maybe typecast by being on the radio and, and often you have to play sort of a quite a straight character on the radio anyway because you're, you're, not, you're not there to make people laugh. Obviously, you have to be bright and bubbly and everything to, to, to be um, sort of accessible for, for a wide audience. But how did you manage to sort of move away from that and, and be funny on stage when people know you to be serious oh well um i don't think every anyone's ever known me to kind of be serious um if i take it back to the beginning of my radio days i had a show called top tastic tuesday which was on evelina uh children's hospital ward um through radio lollipop and also at great ormond street and the premise of the show was to get kids involved with making the radio and essentially make their time at hospital slightly more pleasurable. Yeah. Um, being at hospital is rubbish, but actually the, the experience of kind of the radio added a sense of fun and adventure for the patients and also for their siblings. So it was always quite silly. We would get the patients down from the wards and it'd be quite often like, right, Kelly, you're going to be uh, co-presenting with Josh. Um, he only likes end dubs and and that would we would kind of host break dancing competitions or who can jump the highest and it was all that was a really good kind of good grounding in broadcasting but the whole essence of it was very silly um and my soho radio uh show sex lives and videotapes is in its core, you know, interview-based uh, meeting guests, it's kind of a Desert Island disc rip-off. Yeah. Um, now in its fourth year. But I feel like I've kind of always tried to keep an element of effervescence and, and fun around it. And sometimes that means telling jokes, um, dependent on the guest, really. I yeah, mean, yeah. I had one guest who was a dominatrix, Mistress Charlotte, and she would, like turned up with a gas mask for me. And I was like, it's going to be a bit hard to speak on the radio with that. But, you know, like... I guess the transition from radio to stand-up, it, I feel like it oiled my wheels a bit, the radio, in terms of performance and um, gauging what the audience are thinking, I, I guess, yeah. And I guess you, you must have a lot of um, a lot of diverse things come your way in terms of topics and everything else. So I guess there's a natural um, sort of minefield of material there because you see so many different sorts of people, you speak to so many different sorts of people and... Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. If that's the source of your material, or well, I mean, I've I don't know what you feel about this, but I think life throws you material all the time. I hope so. Anyway, yeah. I, if it doesn't, I get a little bit annoyed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had a kid three years ago, and then you're like, "Fuck, now that is material." Yeah. You know, dealing with a toddler. Um, you know, I, I yeah, definitely. I think meeting lots of different people. That definitely helps feed your creative booklet of life. Yeah, great. So, how do you go about writing your material then? If if you're you a storytelling and storytelling comedian, or are you a one-liner comedian? What sort of? I, do you know what? I always find this question really hard because yeah. I think I always call my comedy quite silly. Um, the word observational I would chuck in there um, I quite like doing characters uh, I like an element of musicality I just like having fun really yeah. and um, I guess at the core it's observational but yeah it's got quite a lot of silly thrown in yeah okay so so how do you go about writing your material then so what's the what's your process to I totally your missed your question didn't I yeah. <laughs> well done Kelly yeah. Um, I haven't even had a vodka. You haven't even had a vodka? I think writing material uh, with a toddler um, and, you know, full-time work, work, freelance, is actually really quite hard. You have to get... Do you know what? I want my house really clean before I write. I, do you know what? That's weird because I, I have the same thing. Um, 
I, I took a few days off to do to do some more writing from my day job, and before I could even start doing anything, yeah. I had to gut the place before I could do it because yeah. I just knew there was something that I had to do. If I don't do it, my mind's going to be cloudy and muddy with it. That's so right. Yeah. So I mean, I I would start writing thinking, oh, this is going this is going this could be a really good bit, and then I'll look at the floor and see a bit of lint in the corner, Luke, and I'll be like. Oh no, I'm going to get the hoover out and uh, yeah. give that quick whip round. So it, it definitely takes a certain state of mind to write. And I think as a comedian, you need to write a lot. And to have the discipline to write is something that I do find quite hard. Yeah. And I think you can't write when you're tired. That's true. You can't, you know, and actually, so I actually started a blog called uh, Book of Mum bookofmum.com and I'm also on Instagram and that came about because when you first have a baby um, you can't just go like sorry baby I can't feed you tonight because I'm going to go and perform to three people in Stoke Newington Um, so I was able to write through the blog and on Instagram and it kept my writing skills lubricated and going whilst I was kind of in that six month foggy motherhood beginnings so I think your answer to my question is that to write your material, sometimes just, just, just be writing something and then eventually find the funny in it. So you could be writing something serious or just an observation. And then when you look at it again later, you, you go back to it and you think, okay, where's, where are the funny bits on this? Do you pick and then hone it a little bit? Okay. So in answer to your techniques of writing, I will write for, say, right, 45 minutes. I'm going to write a story. Or I'm going to write everything related that I hate about Boris Johnson and give myself little exercises. And then I will go leave it and go back, revisit it and then hone it and then revisit it, revisit it, perform it a couple of times. Oh, that bit doesn't work. Rewrite it. And it's kind of an ongoing process of, of sorting out what's good and what is crap. Because <laughs> you have to put it, putting it politely, eat a lot of shit sometimes. Do you, do you practice? Do you practice with your baby to talk to, to see how it yeah. works? Yeah, <laughs> she absolutely loves my fingering jokes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good for the podcast. <clears throat> that's good. Yeah, that's... but you know, I, I do actually record myself on uh, my phone when I perform, of course, mm-hmm. and listen back to it. But I also sometimes. Uh, perform to my laptop and watch it back okay um that poor laptop's heard some terrible jokes but actually anything to kind of get the words out um if you're telling a story then you almost have to hear it before you because there are bits where there are certain words when you're telling a story that will every time will make you stumble on that sentence Mm. so I think there's a bit about, uh, I do a bit, I personally, this is not about me, but it's this words like without, and then something that sounds similar to without. Mm. It's just, you're just going to stumble and stutter every time. So I guess when I write something, I try and read it out as I write. I think that's quite a common thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, do you do that? Do you... Yeah, I think anything to make you hear the words. Yeah. Because um, sometimes you will write for an hour and you'll get really carried away with a concept, an idea. Um, you think there's some good punchlines, some really great setups, and then you revisit it and you're like, oh my goodness, none mm. of that makes any sense. But I think it's actually the discipline of writing. And I really noticed that I, my performance gets better the more I'm writing. The more you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, Actually, writing the discipline of sitting down and writing is a really tough thing for me. I find that difficult. So, one of the things I like to get into with with comedians is because we've all been there. Um, is is about the times that they've died on their ass um, or had a gig that really, really hurt, and then what your process for getting over that is. Usually, uh, crying quite a lot, followed by a danger wank. Um, no. Uh, well, yeah, that's one course. Sometimes you need to take time. Yeah. Um, 
There are two courses. You can get straight back on it the next day, reflect, do the same material to a different room and get loads of laughs. Or you can go away and go, actually, what have I got to do to improve the set? Like, I think actually sometimes those moments of having a bomb or not feeling you're doing very well are actually the most constructive gigs Mm. because you analyse how you're coming across and also sometimes you need you need that to actually get better yeah I think if you go and Kevin Hart says that he bombs like twice a week really still yeah Mm. on that level I mean I mean I don't know still but you know I think for a very long time that that was something he said and like he's the top of his game and what inspirational words it just reminds you that this is a process Mm. and some people will love what you've got to say and find you really relatable and really funny and then other people will be like oh my she's like marmite you know and and those one those ones are hard though I, I try not to cry but then you're like why am i doing this should i give it up and then the next day you wake up going i love it i'm gonna book another gig <laughs> yeah no exactly and i think I, th- I think with, with when you die, I mean, I'd like to get into details of a particular time that you have died in your ass, but we'll, we'll come to that. Um, I think when, when you've had a, we had a really tough gig, I think all you really need to do is actually just gig again. Because unless, I, I think, you know, you say that it's good to reflect and, and to, to sort of try and improve the way you do it. But I also think that if you, if you, if you do that too, and if you die too many times, then you might be changing material too often. Um, I think I did that when I first started. I kept rewriting stuff and kept redoing stuff and kept redoing stuff. And in fact, it was just the way I was doing it. That, mm. like, you know, if you you might not you might learn and think, okay, so that punchline didn't land, but why didn't it land? Is it because something's happened in the room in between your like your setup and then your punchline, or or is it because you just didn't didn't deliver it right? And I think that's why recording is so important mm. because the way you practice it in the car or in, uh, to the mirror or, or to your child mm. um, is completely different when you've got that adrenaline running yeah. through your body just before you get on stage. Mm. And there's always that awkward moment when the clap runs out before you get to the stage. And, <laughs> and that, always, that always seems to change your course of action ever so slightly, which can then lead to you saying something wrong or, or, or set you off on the wrong path. Adrenaline is a weird thing. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Um, then again, if I die on my arse, I just want to run out the fight. That's why there's a good, nice fire exit right next to our stage at, at this comedy club. So in Cambridge? I'm going to dive out of there if I bomb, land on a punting boat, yeah. and pump myself all the way back to Albert Square in the East London. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how far the cam goes, but I'm pretty sure you could probably get onto another river. Then, I don't know. Sounds uh, fun. Yeah. If, you've, if anyone's got a map and they're listening to this right now, please message us and tell us which which rivers join the, the River Thames. Please. Yeah. This is one of the... Di- basically the whole night. Unfortunately, this is not going to be released until ages, so... Aren't you lucky, though? Isn't it fun? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Have you, um, have you gigged in Cambridge before? I haven't, actually. Mm. My, uh, I did Oxford two weeks ago and now Cambridge, and I feel very scholarly. Scholarly. I'm not entirely sure that's a word or whether they'll accept that as a word. Well, I'm I'm sure so, they won't. Mm. Um, I'm just checking the word scholarly because I feel like it could be a word. I wouldn't just throw it out there like some crazy word whore. It isn't a word. Okay, that's embarrassing. Cool. All right, we can cut that bit. That's fine. Google's a bit slow. <laughs> Is it? Well, I think that... Yeah. It might be a word. It might be a word. It might be a word. Let's make it up. It's a good word. Yes, Shakespeare and all that. He he did 5,000 words, is it? 5,000 words he still use? Yeah. He's he's done all right. He died at 40. He died at 40, though. That's uh, not the best. I bet he bombed a few times. Yeah, I bet he did. I bet he did. So um, how much have you ventured out of London then? So Because I've told a few comedians on the podcast that London is like an echo chamber and that you could get a room full of comedians that will all laugh at your jokes and you'll think you're amazing and then you go to someone like Cambridge which is a polite audience and they often bomb because they've not they've, they've been living in this very small bubble 
of well, it's a big bubble, but is in this very small place of like, like London where everything they're saying is landing every every night. Right, then, that's interesting. And then come to Cambridge and they struggle because they can be quite a polite audience. And it's a, what oh, I better like. get my coat. <laughs> I have done. I've started doing a bit of venturing. Yeah. Um, and I'm really enjoying the experience of performing to different audiences. I will say in London, you know, I can perform one night in Fulham and the next night in King's Cross and you're always getting different audiences. Mm. So I think, like, <clears throat> I, I personally haven't felt the kind of echo chamber feeling. Yeah. I, I know if I perform in front of six comedic mates, you know, who you know, we're supportive of each other. There will be laughs and, you know, but there's also times where you'll be performing to comedians who are running through their own sets or writing or looking at their phones, man. Um, Which I think needs to be outed, actually. Is this a profound point you're making about... I don't know. I just think think you've got to be a little bit mindful that, you know, you're not just there to perform your five minutes, you know, until you leave. No, just to be supportive. It's quite powerful. Mm. Thoughts on that? Um, I guess I guess a lot of comedians are using their phones to go through material. Mm. I, I guess that's probably what it is. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. If you're not you're not present in the room, then and and you know you're very very soon to be outed as one of the comedians. It's a little bit unprofessional if you're sitting in the audience with the audience and then. Looking on your phone, not supporting. You're on Tinder, yeah. Um, on Tinder, yeah, swiping right or left, depending on whether you're a man or a woman. I think women swipe left most of the time because men have their dicks out all the time, and men I just really, swipe right. I'm so sad. I missed out on Tinder. I bet it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I actually, anyone who is single, I often will grab their phone and just go, "Give me ten minutes," <laughs> yeah. while rubbing my thighs. Yeah, <laughs> rubbing your thighs. Nice, nice image. Um, yeah, uh, that's good. That's really good stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I was recently talking to Chris Norton Walker, you may know. Um, he was on this podcast and he, he introduced me to a technique called the, the um, memory palace technique, which is where you place odd items in, in, in a very familiar place. So you place like maybe breakfast items in very odd places in a familiar bedroom, right? And then... And then you should be able to remember exactly where those are. So it can be very good to remember shopping lists. Can you remember? You can use it to remember your set and stuff. Is there anything you go through to remember your way along your material? Do you run through it until you just memorize it? Or? Yeah, I run through it until I memorize it. I went to um, stage school, um, so there was kind of uh, that <clears throat> discipline of learning your lines. You know, through acting is something that's kind of I've always kind of had but I think also just that visual kind of uh, the hooks the visual hooks so uh, yeah I've got kind of characters in my set and I'll kind of think oh Nicola Sturgeon doing the Duke of Edinburgh will lead me from one joke to the next you know okay. so, so you have like checkpoints <laughs> in, in your set absolutely and sometimes just before I perform even if I've done the same set 50 times I will just headline each joke on a piece of paper yeah and sometimes that piece of paper will end up in my jean pocket I'll never refer to it I initially used to write on my hand in the early, early days. That's something I don't do anymore. I may never, ever refer to that piece of paper, but it's something comforting about just having the headlines of each mm. joke. Okay, so you can picture those yeah. in your head. Um, Anything to help you. And, um, you know, I think sometimes actually not over-fretting about things before you go on is quite powerful too. I was asked to MC at Udderbelly a month ago, my second ever MC gig, so I was quite complimented. <clears throat> but I didn't run through anything before I went. I, yeah. I, I had a few ideas. I knew my material, but I kind of also let the moment kind of take, take me a little bit too. Yeah. But I think those tricks of writing things down, if you write on your hand, great. Whatever you need to do to kind of make sure your performance is 
solid. It's yeah. wicked. Yeah. And how, how many times do you think you'd have to do a set before you completely memorized it? Like completely, like I know you, you do your headlines before you go on just, just as a comfort sort of visualization. How, how many times do you think you have to perform a new bit of material before you've remembered that particular set? On a personal level? On a personal level. I don't know, maybe five, six times? Five, six times. Is that a lot? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, well, if, you, if, you're doing, if you're doing a new bit and you're doing it every day for a week, then that's five to seven times. Yeah. So that's a week, that's a week of solid performing. Yeah. Um, so that's good. I mean, so since you, so you, said, you said you started comedy before you had children. Yeah. And what was your material like before, before you had a baby? was really ridiculous and um, absurd. Um, was it all true? No, all very silly. Um, I, I, at the time there were Boris bikes and I kind of characterised life of a Boris bike. Um, okay, so you like personification, you like to... You like to act out, kind of... Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Right. There was a psychic Sally who kind of could... Um, telepathically guess what people's underpants were in the room. Nice. Do you reckon Cambridge will like that? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to be, yeah, the, the audience are going to be warmed up by a very good comedian, so I think you'd be all right. Okay. Um. But yeah, I did, I did sort of personifications, um, observational humor, um, quite silly, really. Um, yeah. And this, it's cool. how much has it changed since, since having children? Well, in terms of the actual content, uh, it's still quite silly at its core. Um, but I feel like my attitude towards comedy is slightly more determined and serious mm. because my time has been taken by this grot bag. No, but no, like you have to be more uh, dedicated in what you do because time becomes more precious yeah so i'm like if i'm going to go and perform a gig in cambridge per se and do a you know two and a half hour round trip i've got to make sure i am prepared i'm good yeah. my jokes are funny and that i get up and i make the best of it because you get one shot and i think my attitude towards this journey has become far more driven and determined and wanting than it was before um, the children. delivery okay. of Tabitha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Do you know what I mean? So you've got more, you've got more motivation now. Yeah. Since, so she is your, she is your um, motivation for comedy. Yeah, well, no, she's not, yeah, I mean, she, I hope one day she'll laugh at my jokes. She does a bit when I'm fooling around. But I think, you know, I think you're just, you've, your time is limited as a parent. So if you're going to do something, you may as well do it properly. Yes, yes. Rather than, rather than returning to it after she's 18 and, and, and like being a much later in life. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. a very grim image for you. But Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Do it now. Do it now because it's probably too late later. Yeah. Well, it's not too late. It's just, it's just that why wait? Why wait? Because you, you invest so much time and love and, and energy in, into a child but then you get blamed for all their anxiety issues when when they grow up so carpe diem eh? right carpe diem yeah we've all got to live for the day and i've always been that guy and i always will be so but i think you know my my material is um i feel i guess i feel more i i feel experimental i feel like i can talk about a lot of different things I guess I feel like I'm learning a lot. And I think when you stop learning, that's when it gets really boring. So I just kind of constantly want to try out new stuff. And I've been so lucky to have the support of some brilliant nights like GMB with Carl Wallace and Sama at TNT, who um, have really like championed me to kind of try out different stuff. And some nights I'll go up and I'll mime to Shaka Khan or, you know, other nights I'll go up and I'll do a whole five minutes about, you know, the tragedy of being a, a mum. You know, I think, I think always learning and um, has been at the core of what I'm trying to do really. Yeah. So you said that very early on you, you, you went to Edinburgh with 20 minutes. How did it go? The first night was brilliant. 
Um, it was really good. I was in the newsroom, which is a lovely venue, and I had a couple of pals just turn up and a couple of guys from my comedy course just turned up, and it was really good. Um, I actually also had found out two days before heading to Edinburgh that I was pregnant. So I was kind of like heading up the Royal Mile, like trying not to vomit because uh, I was in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy and then like going off to do five minutes and making people laugh. And But it was quite challenging. So I was also just getting my head around the fact that I'm going to have a baby. But so the first night, the first 20 minutes was really good. The second night, my daddy was coming and that added a whole new level of pressure. Now, because I was very inexperienced and a bit shit, I rushed every word and I was nervous, mm. obviously. And I rushed every word and it was like 15 minutes as opposed to 20 minutes. And I could, the, the laughs in the room were very few and it was really awkward. And actually the people I, I was staying with came and I never forget afterwards, he just said, um, you should you should put some jokes in it. Oh. You should put some you know some like one liners. You know, yeah, yeah, some jokes in. You should write some jokes for that. And I was absolutely mortified. And <clears throat> you know, actually, everyone wants the approval of their parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if they've flown to Edinburgh to see you do this thing. And actually, he had been at my comedy showcase where I had smashed, because you do smash at a showcase. And he was quite startled, actually, that night. And this was, like, the starkest contrast ever. So ever since, I've been like, when can I see you? I'm like, no, 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 no. But then he has seen me on subsequent occasions, and it's been glorious. Most recently at Vault Festival, I hosted an hour with other comedian mums, Called Book of Mums, Mums Night Out. It's yeah. my first time emceeing, and that was <clears throat> an incredible night with amazing talent: Esther Manito, Pauline Ed, Jenny Laville, Naomi Wattis, um, and Katie Ashdown. And we did this amazing hour, and it was so diverse. And these were all mums, so I think we had ten kids between us. So yeah, and he saw that, and it was like, oh, I can exhale. You rewrote that record. Yeah, but also foolish for me to invite people you know 12 gigs in to do 20 minutes yeah that's true not a crazy yeah well that's it but then after that you've got a whole load more material like, exactly because you can talk about that time that you just found out you were pregnant and you went yeah. to Edinburgh so there is at least another 10 minutes of material do you there. think I reckon so I'm going to write it before I go on stage tonight <laughs> yeah <you can laughs> do it. yeah why not so, so, I don't know if it's a supportive room tonight they're, they're all on the back of the Cambridge Fringe Festival so um, was it good? Did it go well? It was well? amazing, yeah. So I'm a bit worried that they're going to be expecting all the top head, the top top headlines that we had at the... Um, Who did you have? Loads of people. I can't really mention them because it's time, right. timeless. Like, yeah. I, it's like a month away. Okay. So, um, so I was going to... So you went to you went to Edinburgh. You did that 20 minutes. You did well at one of them. You didn't do too well at, um, before. You went up... Did you go up for the whole month? No. I no. did like five days because I'm oh, a work, okay. working person. You're a working yeah. person, yeah. You need to keep your job. And, and it costs a lot of money to be up there. It does, man. That's only five days. Some people pay like a thousand pounds for the month, like for mm. renting a room. And um, but anyway, go so you, those guys. Yeah, uh-huh. go those guys. Yeah. Have you been there since? I'm going this year. Going this year. <gasps> so you're going up with another twenty minutes. Or? I'm sharing an hour with oh, wow. another lady called Naomi Wattis, mm-hmm. who is a very funny comedian. And we're taking a show called Two Mums, One Cup. Two Mums, One Cup, nice. And what's the show about, Apart, aside from Two Mums, One Cup? Um... That's just the name of the show because we're a little bit silly. Um, so we're just sharing an hour. My, I, I think Naomi's half an hour is going to be really funny and clever and brilliant and well-crafted. And my half an hour is going to be a combination of motherhood musings and lots of observational moments <laughs> from uh, my life, really. Okay. And, and how, how many days are you doing up there? We're doing seven days at seven the Golf days. Tavern 
2.15 and really excited. I think the crux of it is going to be just like, I de- you know, I want people to kind of step in my shoes uh-huh. for a little bit. Um, I think it will be really fun. So have you previewed that in many places? We are previewing. You are previewing. Yeah, so we you are. To, you are. You are previewing. And I'm very happy to provide you uh, for your show notes all of those Yeah, don't worry, dates. that'll be in there. Yeah, yeah do it. Cool. Yeah. All links and everything like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Thanks, Luke. That's all right. That's all right. I think it's going to be really good. Are you going up? I'm not, no. I, oh, Luke. Um, it's one of those things that... Um, what about doing just a couple of days and grabbing I did think about that maybe doing a weekend up there and just doing a load of five minutes just yeah. to get the time but we'll see I mean I never say never but I, I haven't planned to yet um, I've got some big things coming up later in the year so I, I'm trying to save money for that okay um, that sounds sensible. this is now we're, we're now transitioned from my podcast to her podcast now she's interviewing me oh. a split a split podcast I just can't help it you just can't help it. It's your. It's in your nature. So, have you ever been? Have you ever been interviewed on a podcast? Yes. Yeah. I was delighted to be interviewed last week by Honey Kinney, who is Jonathan Ross's daughter, uh, about body image post birth, um, and I was a guest with Natalie Starmy Sunday, and we were recording it in Richard Curtis's office. Good. <laughs> Wow. It was quite an hour. I could not stop looking at the artwork, the post-it notes, the scripts, but I was also trying to concentrate on, you know, loving your stretch marks. It was quite a difficult hour, Luke. Okay, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Um, but you're obviously moving up in the world. Um, so in, in comedy, I don't know if it's probably the same in radio, but there's obviously been a shift in, in attitudes towards towards women in comedy and, and women in, in any sort of, Mm. positions of, of success and stuff and that, and it's, it's come a little bit late and I'm surprised it has How, have, you, have you seen a shift since you've been working in radio in, in terms of like like discrimination at all I mean in radio not so much I mean I really disagree with like Radio X's remit of playing laddie songs for lads and that kind of only having male presenters. I mean, yeah. that channel alone, um, it's quite shocking, actually. No, they're still able to get away with it. Um, but, you know, I have lots of experience of being the only female on the bill um, at comedy nights. And it's okay. Like tonight. You get used to it. Like tonight. Really, yeah. it's okay. Actually, if anything, it feels like quite an exciting time for the female species and the feminist movements that are kind of happening around us. And big shout out to the Pink Protest, also who are kind of harnessing an, an amazing energy behind feminism. But I, honestly, everything would be fine, Luke, if there weren't just so many wanking jokes. Yeah, I agree. It's exhausting. Um, I want to also put in there, like, jokes relating to the Nazis. Like, honestly, sometimes you will go to a night and you will hear six to seven comedians talking about wanking or Nazis. And I just find it really difficult. I I switch off. I'm probably at that point checking my phone. (laughs) Like I said, it was really naughty earlier in the show. But, Uh you know, like... but most of the time, you know, I've got loads of comedian male friends who mm. are brilliant and it always feels very supportive and fair and brilliant out there. You know, the open mic scene is a really supportive place generally, um, full of incredible people. Uh, I do think it's a bit sad that quite often you are in the minority on a bill, but sometimes... You know, there'll be a night like Girl Girl Power that's hosted by Carl Wallace. And, you know, you're playing amongst 15 other powerhouses of comedy. Yes, yeah. And I think I, with, with you, know, your daughter's quite young and Tabitha. And, and do, you, 
do you think by the time that she's she's sort of 18 19 that 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 would have shifted by that time do you think that it would just be the norm because at the moment i've spoken about it to another comedian on the podcast about positive discrimination which is good because it gives people opportunities but at the same time the fact that we need it at the moment to have to to to, to readdress the balance i think is a problem and highlights the issue because it should not be about positive discrimination it should be just like you know you're here on merit and that is it you're a fantastic comedian whether you're a female male um wherever you're from you're just here because you're fucking good mm. and not and not and there shouldn't just be all we it's great that there's all female bills but it shouldn't you shouldn't have to do that it should just be all right this is an all female bill so what who cares mm. it is I think there's a shift already in panel shows, definitely. You can see yeah. there's no longer like a token black person, a token token woman. I think there's just there's been a real shift and that props to Celebrity Juice for kind of leading the way on that. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean by the time Tabitha's eighteen, like I yeah, there'll definitely be a significant change from our time. So stop so stop telling wank jokes. And Nazi jokes now, men, or fuck off. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I do risky material, and I hope Cambridge love it tonight. I do quite risky material, but I just think there's... Um, I, I don't think, you know, what happened in Auschwitz should ever be joked about, ever. That's it was just... within 100 years of our lifetime. So do you think, okay, so do you think there's any, so that's one thing you say you can't joke about, even if the premise of the joke and all the, all the substance around it is absolutely bulletproof. I just find it really tricky to swallow, yeah. Right, that's okay. just a, Maybe it's a real personal thing and that's what comedy is, you know, what people find funny is so yeah. individual. Oh, it's very subjective, yeah, of course. Um, I, I, mm, I think there's certain things you, you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't joke about because there's nothing funny about millions of people dying. There is not. There's never anything funny about that, and there's. Uh, but I do think there's there's humour around around wanking. This, no, you love it. Not at all. No, I, there's only ever only ever done one wank joke, and that was after someone else did a whole set about wank jokes. How was that night? It was shit. Um, <laughs> um, but I got a good laugh for my one. Did you? Yeah, it was alright because it was on the back of. Was that in one. Cambridge? Yeah, it was in Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But <laughs> yeah, good luck. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if you if, okay, so if the joke is not that, um, is not about, okay, let's let's change let's change away from let's not talk about Nazis because that's never going to be good. That's no, going to pop up on no. on them. But I talk about bipolar, and I don't in shorter sets I don't really talk about the dark stuff of bipolar, but in longer sets I can because I've led up to it and I said it's okay, it's fine, we can all talk about this. So there's nothing funny about depression. But what is funny is are the, are the circumstances around it. The yeah, the extremities it's led you to. Exactly. Or, or, or the thing, or the circumstances as to what when when you've tried to do something like like hurt, like self harm or something, and you just didn't have enough like medication to finish the job off. Like I think that's really funny because it's like now you're even more depressed and you can't even get. You know, can't even finish it off, and I think it's hilarious. And and that that's something that some people say you shouldn't joke about because somewhere in the world, and and many many people have committed suicide and and, and died. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't joke about it. Just mm. because one or two people are going to be offended by it. Like I don't do offensive stuff, but in any room, anything they could talk about could upset one person. And so I just don't know where you but draw then, the line. The guy sitting next to that person who's upset has been educated because they didn't know what bipolar is or where it's led them to. You know, so I think actually by outing the subjects that aren't discussed, like you know the menopause, these are big things. You know, or uh, miscarriage. You know, or bipolar or depression or autism. No, actually, it's educating at yeah. the same time as making people laugh. I mean, whereas yeah. everyone knows that the World War Two happened, and we can't. Yeah, I just yeah. Just as a no-no subject for you, I hope no one comes tonight and does any material about that. It wouldn't land in Cambridge anyway. That's all stuff. I've seen people come here and do dark stuff like that, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work in Cambridge. 
like World War II stuff. Yeah. I it just, just never does. It's within a hundred years and probably everyone in Cambridge is very well read and versed on what yeah. the atrocities were. So. It's all right. Some of the comedians that do that stuff, um, there's life expectancies going up and up and by the time by the time that it's been a hundred years, it might it might be okay to talk about it. But yeah. um, who knows? So are there any other subjects in, in in comedy that you think shouldn't be spoken about? Not really. I think that, as I said, there's education through laughter. Yeah. And actually, uh, there are some people on the circuit who are making brilliant waves by openly talking about depression, yeah, yeah. Uh, autism, um, you know, being fat. You know, these are things, these are subjects that have all been a bit, hush, hush, look, don't talk about that. Yeah. And actually, you know, Sophie Hagen has been going out and talking about being fat and her experience and... You know, many comedians are kind of talking about depression and how it's actually fueled their comedy. Um, so I think it's really important, you know, that, as you said, comedy is subjective. It's really important to out subjects yeah. and let the audience decide what's funny. Okay. Okay. Because because the latest thing really in in comedy, so I thought that's what's coming in, and the late, latest thing in comedy is, is people saying you can't joke about people's... Um, gender gender realignment. You can't talk about. You can't dead name people. You can't do things like that. There's a there's a lot of there's with the with the new sort of snowflake era coming through. There, there's becoming more and more restrictions on what you're allowed to joke about because around the corner, uh, sorry, somewhere on social media, someone's just trawling through social media looking for something to be offended about. Mm. And I think we live in a very different time where you 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 have to be very careful. You have to make sure that your comedy is absolutely dynamite. Because if it isn't, someone's going to get pissed off. You know what, Luke? I think it's very simple. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. Like, James <laughs> Ross runs a night called Quantum Leopard. Absolutely incredible night at 2 North Down. And his rules are no racism, no homophobia, no xenophobia, yeah. and no anti-Semitism. And those are his rules. And no sexism. And actually, that's very simple. It kind of just... It, it makes sure that no one is going to be a dick. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I think... People should be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about. But not be offensive. So what have you got planned for the next year? Dun, dun, dun. So I am... Um, working on series two of the everything project available on itunes which is a documentary radio series giving voices to those unheard um the first series is a 12-parter covering subjects from life as a male porn star to living with stage four cancer so that's really exciting i've written sitcom you um, written a sitcom yeah and um so i'm meeting a production company soon so this will be in the past tense so crossing all my fingers on that I'm going to Edinburgh I'm working hard on my residency and at Soho Radio so yeah that's every other week out on Soho Radio and um, I've just shot a advert for McGuigan's Wine that okay. will be seen on UK TV from next month June there is something else <laughs> That's already quite a lot of things. A lot of quite things, okay. Um, and yeah, keep an eye on my Instagram, Book of Mum. Uh, we've got previews coming up of Two Mums, One Cup over summer too. Um, so I've got a really busy, exciting upcoming year, I think. And so for next, for next year, do you think that you'll take up a full hour to Edinburgh? Who knows? Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. I'd like to think 40, 45 minutes. No, I'm not, I'm, I spoke to Joe Ball once, who's a brilliant stand-up, and he said, don't rush the hour. You've got time. And actually, I'm not keen to kind of... I, I want to make sure my craft is good, and actually, by the time I take a debut hour, that it's absolutely watertight, brilliant, yeah, full of lols. Full of lols. There you go. She's 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 down with the kids now. She's like yeah, bants, bants. Do we say that? Yeah, litmus and all that, isn't it? Yeah. Is that another one? No, I don't know that. You don't know lit. Pretty oh lit. yeah. Yes, and then litmus is now. Oh, is the, litmus in the new lit? I think so. Yeah. 
Cool. It's just a little one you could use in your... How old is your child? Sick. Yeah. Um, sick. Sick? She's sick. No, sick is... Oh, that's, that's, that's so 2010. Jesus. Do you want me to help you set up the chairs now? Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining me, Kelly. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So that was Kelly Ford. What an amazing conversation. But just in case we didn't cover everything in the conversation because we were limited for time, here's just a quick idea of all the things that she does get up to. She writes this amazing blog called Book of Mum, which follows a true account of her journey of being a mum. I think Dad should read this as well because you might learn something. She is also a radio presenter and producer for Soho Radio. She presents sex lives and videotapes every other Wednesday from 9am to 10am. She has her split bill show, Two Mums and One Cup, which she mentioned during this episode with Naomi Wattis going to Edinburgh. That's with the Laughing Horse at the Golf Tavern running from the 17th to the 22nd of August at 2.15pm. Any other information about her, run over to our website, kellymaxineford.com and all the links, social media handles and places you can catch her on the radio doing comedy or if you just want to read her amazing blog, the episode notes are packed full of all that information so please do click on those things. There are still tickets available for our live recording of the Comedians Outlook on the 30th of September, that's a Monday. My special guest is the awesome Rich Wilson who is highly rated by the huge names like Frank Skinner, Rob Beckett, Sarah Millican and many many more. He is one of the best comedians in the country right now and also hosts his own podcast called Insane in the Membrane. But tickets to our live recording are only £7, so please do run over to lukeantonycomedy.co.uk forward slash TCO live for ticket information. They're going to go quickly, so get hold of them now while you can. And don't forget, you can become a patron of the podcast to get exclusive content from the interviews. And if you do, it also gives you free tickets to one of the live shows. Info is also on the website. A little update from me as well. I finished the first draft of the pilot episode of my new sitcom called Hello There. But now I have to write the rest of the series as well, which is slightly daunting. I am also simultaneously working on my work in progress stand-up show. Details are coming soon. But whilst you're checking out Kelly's links, have a click on mine too. But that's it from me. Speak to you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars' careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.